Hey, thank you so much for being here for a special Zoom and podcast simulcast. It's Zoom into Books with our friends from Headline Books and also the Big Time Talker podcast. Heard on all your favorite podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple, iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, and many more. Subscribe and download today. New episodes delivered every Tuesday morning right into your mobile device. We love to talk to authors. We love to talk to subject matter leaders. And it's all made possible by our friends at speakermatch.com. They are the world's largest online virtual speakers bureau. So if you're a, a speaker, a platform speaker, or maybe you're a meeting planner for your local service organization, you can find one another at speakermatch.com. And thanks, Speaker Match, for making the broadcast possible. Today, uh, we do have an international book awards finalist for his brand new book eyes of morpheus it's his third book he's my friend uh, joining us from southern california kevin d miller on the program kevin congratulations on the brand new book and on that international book awards finalist how about that oh my gosh that's uh that's amazing and and I'm, i can't tell you how thrilled i am to uh, receive that honor and just boom you know big surprise today so yay Yay for Kevin. Hey, the last time that, that you and I got to, to spend time yeah. together in person, we had dinner in Los Angeles yes, with a, a New York Times number one mm -hmm. best-selling author, Homer Hickam. And now you are sort of entering that rarefied air of guys that, that are publishing multiple books and winning lots of awards. Would a little itty bitty boy, Kevin Miller, have ever seen himself as an author? Uh, absolutely not. And, and I, I got to tell you, it was an honor to, uh, to sit and have a dinner with you and, and Homer. I mean, uh, if I can even have a, a, an inkling of his success, I, I will be a successful author. But uh, no, I, I mean, I just never saw myself as, as writing books. I mean, I, I've always kind of been a little bit of a storyteller, and I guess so it kind of translates and stuff. But it, it wasn't until just a few years ago when I wrote my first book, Car to Steal, you know, that, that my father had asked me to write for him about his grandfather, about our family, that I got into writing. And once I wrote that book, I just fell in love. And I said, okay, this, I want to do this. And I just, I just wrote the second book. And, and now we've got the third one out and I got plans for more. So. <laughs> and we see the awards hanging on, uh, on some of the eyes of Morpheus. Back yeah, I had, I had, I had to put some of the awards up. Yeah. You got to have the major awards, you know, <laughs> I don't have the leg lamp or anything to put back there, but, <laughs> but I do have the medals, so I kind of wanted to put them up there, and and because uh, I'm I'm really really proud of those and very happy to have received them, and you know very humbled by that. I mean, White Skies won, uh, White Skies Black Mingo won a lot of awards, and, and each time it happened, it just it's humbling thinking, wow, you know, somebody really out there really you know loves the story and, and got engaged in it, and they got it, you know, they they get what I was trying to say. Let me ask you, because when we talk to, to authors, generally, there are one of two paths. You took the mm -hmm. second one. Either they're, they're writers as little kids. You know, Homer yes. Hickam talked about writing his, his hometown little newspaper, the sure. Colwood News, which yeah. uh, he wrote a big story. Uh, I think he was in the fourth grade about a woman who was doing her wash in the local creek, and she fell into the creek and got all wet, and she was very embarrassed and had to come back and and he wrote that up in his little newspaper that, that he published himself. And then, well, that story was about his mom. And so she pretty immediately took away his uh, journalism <laughs> rights. And that was the end of that. So yeah. you're either born into it like Homer or like you, you come into it 
later in life. So, so what did you do uh, to put food on the table before you were a writer? Well, before I was a writer, I've, I've, um, I always tell my girls, it's like, I've lived so, I feel like I've lived so many lives. People talk about past lives, but I think, you know, a lot of us, when you get to be my age, you look back and think I, I've lived, you know, multiple lives. I've been, um, you know, I went to, I, I'm a veteran. I spent eight years in the United States Air Force as an electronic technician, maintaining ground navigation equipment that helps the aircraft find, you know, where they're going. Um, I got your my, service. Thank you, sir. Oh, yes, absolutely. I, I, I received a bachelor's of uh, science degree in electronics technology, and I went to work for Motorola when I got out of the service and was an, an engineer for Motorola for about uh, ooh, about 14 years. Um, and then I decided, uh, you know, I wanted to try something new. And that's that's about the time that the Internet came out and the web came out. And I'm kind of an artistic guy, too. So the technical and the artistic side of web development pulled me in. And I went back and I got a second bachelor's degree in information technology and became a professional web developer for the city of Peoria in Arizona. Spent about 12 years there and then retired. And now I'm writing books. So, <laughs> so you've done a bunch of different things, but uh, the engineering work, especially, that's very uh, exacting work. And this is very creative. So maybe it's a little more like like web designing, but, but what was it in you that said, you know, I can do this because it's, it's like being on a high dive before you do your first book, before you take the plunge. So what made you take that plunge? What made you think, you know, I could do this? You know, I, I don't know. I've always liked a challenge, Burke. I mean, I've always, I've never backed down or been afraid of, of trying something, you know, and, and I'm not afraid to fail. And I think, you know, listening to a lot of other authors far greater and more successful than me. That's one of the things they say, even, even actors. I was listening to a, a video of, a, of Sly Stallone, and he's talking about that. You can't be afraid to fail. You know, you have to just kind of dive in and, and, get, and give it your best shot, you know, so that, you, so that at least I can say, hey, I, I gave it my best shot. I went to bat, and, you know, if, if I don't succeed, then I'll, find, I'll try to find another way to do it. I just, I just refuse to to not succeed is something that I, I really want to do and something I really love. And, and this does it. It's a creative side of me, you know, because I, because originally when I was going through school, I wanted to be an art teacher, you know, and a, and a, and a, and a athletic coach, football coach, you know, kind of a weird mix there. So I do have that creative side and that technical side and stuff and the writing. I, I just brings out all that creativity and stuff. And I, I just love it. I just love telling stories and sharing stories and, and uh, I don't, I don't think I'm going to stop doing this now until, you know, until I can't do it anymore, you know, until I'm, until I'm not here anymore to do it. So Kevin D. Miller is our guest today. If you happen to be scrolling through online or watching the video on YouTube, maybe you're listening to the podcast uh, and you have a question, you can always shoot it in to the chat room and we would love to talk to you. Uh, if you have any questions about the, the art and science of writing about Kevin's brand new book, Eyes of Morpheus, uh, or his previous uh, books, and you, you mentioned it briefly, uh, uh, Heart of Steel, your debut book, that was a historical novel, and you said your dad encouraged you to write it, so, so we can't let that go, that's an awful good tease. Tell uh, folks who are not familiar with Heart of Steel what it's all about, because it's a fascinating family story. Yeah, yeah, what Heart of Steel is about is basically family, it's, it's about waking up one morning and finding out your last name really isn't your your real name, you know, something that my father had no idea. My grandfather changed our name back in 1920 
and we didn't know why. You know, my last name really is Puholski. It's a Polish name. You know, he changed it to Miller, a very common uh, name in America. And so we, I, it just sent us on, sent me on a search, sent my family on a search. We, we found all these old newspaper articles. We learned um, that there was a, a, a tragic uh, family tragedy back in the 1920s. My great-grandfather was murdered in his sleep. My wow. great-grandmother was bound to a chair. My grandfather at the time was about 13. He was sent to the sheriff. Sheriff comes back. They investigate the murder. But ah, everything isn't as it seems, you know, so um, things start to unravel with the story and it has a pretty shocking twist to it. And, um, you know, my grandfather ends up being, you know, sent on a journey. I mean, him and his siblings are, are in an, an orphanage and, and he decides to run away and, and try to earn money to, to come back and take care of them. But the story, um, we had so much stuff. My father had all this information and he talked a lot to his cousin and he just didn't know how to do it. He just said, you know, he just said, son, would you, would you take this, all this stuff and sit down and, and, and write your grandfather's story. And, and I said, yeah, you know me, I, I love a challenge. It's like, absolutely. I'd love to learn to write. Why not write a book, you know, take, check that off my bucket list. So, so I took it on. I did the research. Took me about three years to do all the research, you know, to really find out you know, about my family, the whys and the who's and the what's, and um, and then just to learn how write the writing process. I mean, I had to learn how to write as well, you know. So that I mean, Hard Steel is my first book, um, and it took me some time to to learn how to write the story and and get it out there. But what an amazing story, though, Kevin. And that's when when you and I first met was around yeah. that book and, yeah. and the story of your family. I mean, and, and you literally wake up one day and you find out I'm not really Kevin D. Miller. Right. My, my whole last name has been fabricated. My right. grandfather has hidden this huge secret from the family. Yes. And, and nobody knew, right? Not, not your no, siblings, not and nobody. My, my dad, I think my dad was a little uh, PO, you know, because he was, he was, he just was like, he was stunned. He didn't know what to say. He's like, my dad never told me that, you know, we never knew this. They, they, my grandfather, they swore an oath with his siblings. They took it to their grave and it stayed there for nearly a century. <laughs> you know? And it was so, a whole yeah. lot of sort of forensic uh, work that you did where you went back into small town newspapers. It was back in a small town in Ohio. That yes, this all happened, yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. It was right outside uh, Warren, Ohio, um, a town, a little township called Southington. Is a little farm town. It's a very, uh, it was a very rich farm town. My great grandfather was a very rich farmer. He had a lot of money. He was a good old boy, and he was also a drunk, you know, too. And and so there's a lot, a lot of interesting stuff that happens there. And yeah, we had to go through and research, uh, you know, newspapers. I went to this, you know, the city of Warren or the town of Warren. Went to their uh, library and, and pulled out even more newspapers to learn more things. We, we found legal documents, court documents, all kinds of stuff to just to put the piece of the story together because I wanted to tell the story as accurate as possible, but I didn't want to tell it like a documentary. I wanted to write a novel. I wanted to be and read like a novel and read cinematic like a novel so that you're experiencing this story through the eyes of my grandfather, you know, through the eyes of a 13 year old boy who to me is just, it's an incredible, um, uh, feet, you know, for him to, I can't imagine being in his position. I, I had to imagine being in his position, but I, it just brought tears to my eyes. There was times I, I had to just kind of step away because it was got so emotional for me writing the story. And I think that emotion 
carries through this the story and people pick pick that up so i'm i'm happy you know that 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 it does uh, translate yeah and you you use the word cinematic and and i happen to know that the book has been optioned to be made into a movie it's that kind of story so as an author that has to be some pretty incredible validation first Uh, time author yeah it left me um speechless i mean again it's so humbling you know it's so exciting but at the same time it's so humbling to yeah the book um was optioned you know i gave it to a a buddy of ours and, and he has a production company and he he finally read the book, you know, he, he was on set and he, he finally had the time to read the book. And when he got back, he goes, let's do lunch. He goes, he goes, buddy, um, I want to option this book. He goes, let's get this, let's get this story on screen. So we've been working on that, uh, you know, getting it on, getting it to film, getting it to TV. And, and, and if there are people that are listening or, or watching right now, I mean, it's, it's a, sure. it's a hell of a testimony that, that anything is really possible. You know, yeah. this is a, this is not even a third act for you. It's a fourth act for you from a career standpoint to become an act, uh, an author, and then meet this actor who's a producer and it's going to be made into a movie. Uh, folks may be, you know, listening or watching saying, you know, I'd, I'd love to write my first book. I have no idea even how to begin that process because it is daunting. If it were easy, everybody would do it. Right. Right. Um, yeah. But having said that you did it. So what's the first thing? Uh, someone who says, I got a book in me, you think, well, what's the first thing they ought to do? Is there a, a step or a, a top three steps? Where, where would you tell someone to begin that wants to be an author to do what, what you've done? Oh my gosh, man. Yeah. I would, I would highly encourage it. You know, it's, um, it's something that I, I think every person, I mean, this might sound a little trite or cliche, but everybody's got a story in them. Everybody's got a story in their family. Everybody's got something that would be fascinating and interesting to share. But the first step is just overcoming your fear, overcoming your insecurity, overcoming that, that nagging voice that's saying, ah, you can't write this, you know, but I would say the first step is just take a notebook, take a notebook, sit down and just outline, plot that, story out write the story out don't don't worry about how good or bad it is on your first draft if you're going to write this story um just write it write the whole thing out because that's what editing's for right and and just just get over that hurdle of of thinking that you can't do it or you know because i did it you know i i was i i you know my only writing experience is i was a technical writer in addition to being a web developer that does not translate to being a book author sure and i know if i can do it anybody out there any any of you out there could do it too if you sit down and just make up your mind and 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 write a good story because to me here's the thing that the, the second thing i would advise you know people look at great authors like Homer Hickam and they got this wonderful poetic prose and they're so good at what they do. And that's important. That's important. But in my opinion, what's even more important is to be able to tell a good story. That's what's going to hook your reader is, is if you engage them in a story and you pull them in that world and they live that and experience that through your writing. Now you got something. You know, and you, you've got editors to help you with that prose. Just write your story, you know, write a good story and, and people will respond to it. Kevin D. Miller is our guest today on Zoom into Books and the Big Time Talker podcast. Uh, he's got a brand new book, his third, Eyes of Morpheus, already uh, winning awards. And um, one of the things that people who have told me that, that love your books, Kevin, mm-hmm. is the characterizations. 
They fall in love with those characters. They care what happens to them. And especially, I think, in your second book, which uh, is also based on on family history of yours. It's historical fiction. So before we talk about the new one, let's talk about book number two in the Kevin Miller series. Absolutely. Yeah, once once I had finished Heart of Steel and it just, I fell in love with writing and I'm like, okay, I got to do, I got to have more. And, and my next story is inspired by my great, great grandparents. My great, great grandmother was Native American. She was... Um, uh, what they referred to in those days, the white man referred to uh, the natives as Mingo, which means she was Ohio Seneca. Um, usually the Mingo were part Seneca, part Cayuga. And, and these, are, these are members of the um, Haudenosaunee, which more commonly known the Iroquois. Okay. Um, so she was native. He was a son of Irish immigrants and he was a union uh, soldier in the civil war. And I'm thinking, okay, okay. My, my wife is Hispanic. She's got native in her. I'm a, I'm a Irish Polish guy. I can relate to this. They had a mixed marriage, but they had a mixed marriage in a time, the civil war, when it was illegal for a native. Yeah, 150 woman. years ago. It's a big deal. Yeah. yeah. Illegal for a native woman to marry a white man, you know? So I, I'm just sitting there thinking, what would they have gone through? So um, anyway, I, I did a lot of research. I researched, you know, his his platoon, everything about him, every battle he fought in, because I wanted to integrate every single historical fact I could find on them. Couldn't find nearly as many as Heart of Steel, um, because it was a, a, a earlier time, and I didn't have uh, relatives to interview. But I pieced that story together. So I took the facts and and, and inspired by them, and I wrote a historical fiction book um, based on that. And it's um. And it's, yeah, I, I get a lot of the feedback, like you just mentioned, uh, of the characters, fall in love with the character. And I think that's so important, you know, for writers to be able to do is like, if people don't love your characters, then they're not going to stick with your story. You know, you right. got to get them from the beginning. It's so important that, you know, they can relate to their, the characters are relatable and, and, and they can just, you know, fall in love with them and want to know, you know, all more about them and follow their journey. The name of that book, Kevin, is White Skies, Black Mingo, um, and it uh, it's it's available to headline books, just like uh, the new one, and Amazon, and and on my website, authorkevinmiller.com. I have the links to headline books and Amazon there as well. But uh, and that's when the awards started rolling in. That's when the, people said, yes. hmm, "Yeah, this yeah. guy, he's got it going on." Yeah, well, I, I was starting to think that. I think maybe I do got it going on because the, the words start piling up and coming in. And I knew I had something. I knew I had something when I when I had my wife, Annette, because she's my she's my critique partner. I run stuff past her. I let her read stuff because she'll she'll won't she won't hold back. I mean, she's going to tell me. She's not going to sugarcoat anything, and she'll let me know if that's something isn't working for her. But um, but she, that's her favorite book. The first one she gave me a lot of feedback on. The second one she spent most of her time reading the book and asking for more chapters. You know, when's in, when's the next chapter is going to come? Because she it's she goes, this is my kind of story. This is my kind of book here. These characters, you know, and just the story in general. And she that and that, that's still her favorite story of all my stories, and, and falls right into in line with uh, the kind of books that she likes. So I knew I knew I had something once I had her hooked. How long did uh, did the first book, Heart of Steel, take versus the second book, White Skies, Black Mingo? That's an interesting question. The first book took about three years to write. Um, the second book, during the COVID lockdown, took me about three months to write. <laughs> wow. So it just poured out of you. 
it poured out. It, it yeah, it's one of those processes that it was the strangest thing because the story seemed to just start writing itself. You know, it's like I'm I'm just kind of a, a passenger along here, and I'm I'm living this story, and it just kind of starts writing itself, and things just start falling into place. You know, I'm I'm more of a a pantser that they like they call instead of an outliner. I don't outline it. I just go and, and I see where the story takes me, you know, and, and and a lot of times I don't know where it's going. I don't know how it's going to end, but I, you know, I'll, I'll put myself into a situation and put the characters into a situation and then try to figure out how to get them out of it. And okay. Now, where does it go? How do they get out of this? I have no idea, but then it'll come to me because yeah. my own processes is a little strange because a lot of stuff comes to me in my sleep. Before I go to sleep at night, I, I run the story through my head and a lot, so many things come to me. And it's funny because the, the new book, Isomorpheus, that whole story came to me like in a dream and in, 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 in a half sleep. And, and I kind of woke up thinking, that's a great story. And I, I just kept trying to stay asleep and thinking about it. And I had to wake up and write it down and write the concept, the premise down and, and wrote it from that. So it gives me a lot of creativity. And I know there's a lot of historical figures that have, have mentioned that they get a lot of their ideas in their sleep, you know, I think. Do you keep a, a notepad there? How do you make sure you don't forget things? I do, I do. You know, I, I, I've got a journal, I've got several journals and I just, I wake up and I just start taking notes and just make some bullet points so that I don't forget, you know, this idea of that, or I'll be, you know, driving around or something. I'm thinking, oh man, I got to write that down because I don't want to forget that. You know, that's 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 how this, this, this scene should go, you know, because I might be stuck on a scene and the way your subconscious works, it, it keeps working in the back there, grinding, and all of a sudden, boom, something pops in, and it's like, okay, that's that's how this scene's got to go, and, and you just write it down and and go from there. But it's an interesting three months. Process. It's it's out and done, and people love that book. Yes. Um, and and then at that point, Kevin, you're like, um, and I'm going to put you in some pretty high cotton here. You're like John Grisham, who's known for legal books, or. James Patterson, who writes these these incredible crime thrillers, mm-hmm. uh, Robin Cook, who writes these medical uh, uh, thrillers. You know, you're you're thing. right there, and then you throw the publisher a total curveball. <laughs> even though you get these two very successful historical novels, yeah. Yeah. you say, "I want to do something completely different." It's like Monty Python, and now for something completely different. <laughs> what are you thinking there? Yeah. yeah. What's well, the thought process behind taking this? complete 180 detour just I, I think just being myself and being re, being a little rebellious being a little um adventurous uh, you know like i said i'm not afraid to try new things and i'm thinking you know this is great i love historical fiction I, and i'll go back i'll have more historical fiction in the future but i'm like i want to try something different you know and and I, I i took some time you know i spent some time i took some of those masterclasses.com and i highly recommend that for people out there you know wanting to learn all kinds of different things but i listened to all the authors that were on there and a couple of them you know kind of said that so don't feel that you're tied to your genre right don't feel that you have to do that if you want to write something different write it and i'm like that's all i needed to hear you know because i've got these ideas and this one came to me and, it, and this isomorphous is more of a science fiction more speculative fiction you know speculative fiction being that we know these technologies exist we can do them we just don't have them yet you know so that's that's kind of what um defines speculative fi- uh, fiction but I, I just i'm not going to hold back you know if i've got a story in me and if, if i feel it's a good story I don't care what the genre is. I want to tell that story. I, I love telling stories and I want people to enjoy these stories and, and just, I'm, I'm going to 
I might write something completely different the next time and throw and throw Kathy another curveball. And, you know, even the John Grishams of the world, of he's a big sports guy. He's written a basketball book. He's written a baseball book. Yeah, so yes, yes. it does make sense to, yeah. to stretch out a little bit. Sure. Um, mm -hmm. And some people would call Eyes of Morpheus even visionary fiction. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. here's what could happen. True, true. true. You know, yeah. it ignites the, the synapses there of, mm -hmm. of what might happen based on, and you know, the, this uh, platform that's already there. For folks that, that are interested in those kinds of books, give us a snapshot. What is Eyes of Morpheus about? Eyes of Morpheus, the, the premise here um, that came to me is um, the protagonist is a 30-ish uh, neurosurgeon scientist. Now, I wanted to explore the science of, of uh, cryogenics, you know, where you freeze, your, a body's frozen for the purpose of reviving it in the future to where whatever ailment or illness they're suffering can be cured in the future. So the premise is, is this young scientist came, comes up with a, with a method, with a process that actually works. And you don't have to freeze somebody, you know, and, and because the, the procedure as it, as it is today, they, they freeze you, but it destroys your cells. The, the, the dehydration, the process and stuff just crystallizes the brain cells. It doesn't work. I mean, anybody, you know, that's been frozen, um, you know, like Ted Williams, you know, they, it, probably not coming back anytime soon but her process is is more of a of a uh, anti you know of a fluid that um, that they put in in the body so the body it doesn't die it's just put in a in a, in a very cold semi-frozen state to where they can just stay there until until such a time that you know this cure is is formulated they can science catches up science catches up so the inciting incident for this scientist is this now her her marriage starts to fall apart um you know she her her wants her loves is just to have a family have have kids and she you know her her marriage crushes just kind of crumbles and then she's she finds out that she's facing terminal brain cancer so now the inciting incident is a, is a, a crossroads it's like do i stay here in this time and try to fight this cancer or do I enter myself into the very program I created and she chooses the latter you know because she's she's distraught and she, it's a, she's just at a point where she she just doesn't you know want to be here anymore doesn't have nothing to go home to so she wakes up 87 years into the future and she'll discover the consequences of her decision and her work and and the consequences of playing god and the con you know and 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 really questioning her own reality so that's that's where the story goes so it makes there's a lot of interesting stuff to play around with there 87 years into the future sure and that, that that's kind of where the, the story goes from there so you know one of the things that, that i've always found interesting about the way you write mm -hmm. um especially after talking to a lot of your readers you know your previous book and now this one you have a female protagonist mm -hmm. you write a, a strong female character and yet the women that i've talked to that read your books mm -hmm. love the way you write those characters and and i'm not sure that you can articulate but i'm, I'm going to ask well how do you do that how do you put yourself inside the mind of of somebody of a totally different gender that that's a great question and uh, and that's probably one of the the greatest compliments you know to me as a writer that I've received um, our good friend Dream of Denver that was one of the first things she said she says you know 
She said, Kevin, if, if I didn't know that White Skies Black Mingo was written by a man, I would, I would assume and just be sure that it was written by a woman. He goes, she goes, I don't know how you did that. I don't know how you told the story from the perspective of a woman so well. And the only way I can answer, the only way I can come up with an answer to that is that I'm surrounded by so many women and I, I pay attention to them, I think. I mean, I have daughters, okay? I, ha I have daughters and I, I see them from the time they're little to their teenagers, to their young adults. And, you know, and of course, you know, my wife and stuff. So I'm surrounded by a lot of women and I really pay attention to how they think and how they feel. Um, and, and, and see things, I think I've always had the ability to kind of be a little perceptive with people and kind of see things and feel things through their eyes, you know, so I think that translates. And plus, I have a great critique partner who happens to be a woman, my wife, who, you know, if, if something isn't quite right, she'll point it out and say, you know what, a, a woman would probably think this or say this or, you know, lean towards this. But she gives me credit too. you know, she says too. she goes, no, you do have an insight. And, and I think it's because I have so many daughters and so many girls that I'm around, you know, that I just kind of pick up on things and pick up how they think and the things they like and the things they hate, the things that irritate them, the things that they love, the, the way they look at guys and the way, you know, all those things, you know, I just kind of make mental notes and it just, I, it, it, I'm able to translate it somehow, you know, and that's, that's about the best answer that I can give you on that. I mean, it's a great gift because uh, a 30 year old woman who is a neuroscientist, you are not, sir. No, I am not. <laughs> <laughs> I am not. But you know what? Uh, you know, women have, just like men, have certain things in common. You know, they have certain things in common, certain desires, you know, certain love, certain hate, certain emotions. And that's common to everyone, you know, no matter what, what you do in life, you know. So, so I kind of just take that, you know, because again, I want, you know, my reader to relate to the character and, and feel life through their mind and their emotions and, and their eyes, you know, and if I can do that, it doesn't matter what he or she does, you know, I, I've got the reader and the reader's going on a, on a journey with me. Hey, if you just happen to be scrolling through on social media and you've landed here, this is the Big Time Talker podcast and zoom into books in conjunction with Headline Books, Kevin D. Miller is our guest. His brand new book is Eyes of Morpheus. It's a visionary fiction novel uh, available now at Amazon.com, HeadlineBooks.com, wherever books are sold. There it is. There People it is. are digging it. <laughs> He's uh, just won uh, as a finalist, the International Book Awards. You see a couple of other medals hanging up behind you. This is a different, a whole different kind of way to write, though, from the, your first two historical fiction novels, you talked about doing all this research. You know, you went to mm -hmm. that little town in Ohio. You poured through courthouse records. Sure. You looked at old newspaper clippings, found out as much as you could in the second novel about uh, these folks from the Civil War era. And this one, it's all up here. It's all in the imagination. Or, or is it? Was there any kind of research that you did for this book? Yes, yes. I mean, there's, there's always research that goes into a book. And, and yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff here that I, it's my own imagination and creativity, obviously, but, but I did, I spent a lot of time um, researching, you know, cryonics, cryogenics, how the process works, you know, and, and just started pondering how, how could, how could somebody change that and fix that to make, you know, to make that work? I studied a lot, you know, I went on a lot of uh, sites, you know, 
and, and studied neurons and, and brains and, and how our brains operate and work to try to educate myself. And I'm, I'm a person who loves to learn new things. You know, I, I think, you know, to prepare myself for writing a book, I want to just educate myself on, on every possible thing I could. And, you know, I, I looked up, you know, how there's technology today that they're, they're getting to where people can sit and, and communicate successfully. This is, this is a real study um, from neuron to neuron through a computer. Now, now, hopefully someday they'll be able to do that without the, the, the computer in the middle there, but they've been successfully where the person just sits and thinks a thought and the other person picks up the thought. You know, so these technologies are there and they're, they're evolving and it's possible. And you, you think you look at Elon Musk and his brain implant, you know, and, and what could that possibly do? You know, make people smart. There's a whole nother concept for a book is what kind of terror, terrifying future might that hold, you know, for people to be able to, you know, their intelligence go from, you know, 150 IQ to 500, you know, or something. I mean, there's. So, but there's a lot of um, lot of stuff out there, a lot of technology out there, and I did spend a lot of time reading and researching, looking, you know, watching YouTube videos. I love YouTube. YouTube's great, you know, it's great. It's like because uh, a new book I'm I'm, I'm working on, um, they have to um, fly in a hot air balloon, you know. I'm like, okay, I've never taken a hot air balloon trip. I'd, I'd like to, so I can experience that, but. YouTube's there. I can just go and, and see how the, that that's all done, how they inflate it, be in the, you know, in the balloon with somebody filming it and, and you know, kind of, and at least it's this next best thing to be in there to experience that or, or to go, I haven't been to this beach, but I'll, I'll go and, and, and find a YouTube video on it and, and try to experience it that way if I can't afford to travel, you know. But you know, um, we're old enough to remember in a day when this access to information just wasn't there, you know. Right. Right. I, you know, I remember the door-to-door -door encyclopedia salesman. Yes. You know, that, that, you know, we talked to my parents and they knew that I was a very curious sixth grader and they, they saw that and talked mom and dad into spending all that money on encyclopedias. But now it really is mm -hmm. all there. Do you think that that, that access to information has made it easier uh, for you as an author to, to be able to make these things happen? Absolutely. Most definitely. And, you know, and, and being a web developer, professional web developer, I've got a good understanding of what sites to, you know, to avoid and what sites are reliable sites, you know, to go to, to get reliable information. You know, I stay away from the Wikipedia's where people are, you know, contributing, they may or may not right. be right. But, um, but yeah, no, it's, it's a wealth of information out there and a great resource for, for authors. You know, another point for new authors is like, you know, do your research online. I mean, go to the library. I like to go to the library too and check things out there. But th this is such a good resource to just pull up an article or a video or a documentary and, and just learn. Would you, let me ask you on this new book, it's uh, Eyes of Morpheus, uh, Kevin D. Miller is our guest. Would you, if given the opportunity, would you do this and you know put yourself to sleep so that you can wake up 87 years in the future if the option well, that, was given? Yeah, well, I, I you know that's a good question and that might be a spoiler alert, you know, but cuz that's kind of the question that the book asks is you know, what are the consequences of that? You know, I mean, we that's what you got to ponder. What are the consequences of that because it all sounds really good. I mean, I've got a cancer, you know, why not go to sleep? You know, I'm probably not going to survive. Why not just take a chance and, and wake up, you know, a century in the future and find a cure and be cured. 
But guess what? There's consequences to that. I mean, think about that. If I'm a hundred years older, you know, my children, my grandchildren, they're gone, you know? Um, what do you do? You know, you're kind of alone, you know, you're kind of alone out there. So it presents a lot of problems and a lot of issues. And, and for Dr. Uh, Grace, it, 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 there's a, a, that and a lot more that all kind of opens her eyes to see, you know, is this, is this the right thing? Is this the right decision? You know, so that, that's a good question. And I'm not going to really answer for you because I want the readers to get the book and, and I'll answer it in the book for you. <laughs> As to whether you, Kevin Miller would do it or not. Yeah. If Kevin Miller would do it or not. That's um, the question. Well, if that's the question, if you're pinning me in a corner and stuff, <laughs> I, I, I would say probably not, you know, because I, I'm going to, I'm going to salvage whatever years I have to spend with my wife and, and my daughters and children and grandchildren that I adore. And I'm not going to give up even one day of that to be in a, in a future all by myself. And, and, you know, God knows what the future holds, you know, I might that's the right answer, now. whether your wife is off to the side watching this interview or not. Oh, oh, she is. And she just giggled right now. Yeah, no, she is. She's definitely, <laughs> and that's why I'm making sure I'm giving right answers. Well played, sir. Well again, played. Again, it's, it's go back to kind of understanding the feminine mind, you know, and, and knowing the right things to say. I've learned over the years what to say and what not to say, even though sometimes I trip up, but, but I get pulled back in. <laughs> you know, to the, to, to the boundary of what's right and what's not right, you know. So, so you know, um, we've talked to in these, uh, in this conversation about how, how women really love your books. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm not sure if we, if we left it at that, that, that that's the right thing, because the concept for Eyes of Morpheus, I think, you know, guys will love that book. Certainly Heart of Steel is a very strong, oh, yeah. uh, you know, male character, your grandfather there. When you write, do you have um, a target in mind. This is my target reader. This is who I want to read the book, or or no? Do you just put it out there and and let the audience find the book? Um, a little bit of both, I think, Burke. I mean, there is there's always a target audience for a book. I mean, like White Skies, Black Mingo. People who love historical fiction are going to love this book, and not just women, because I've had women read this book who loved it, who gave it to their husbands, say, you have to read this book, <laughs> because it, it, it doesn't just address women. I mean, it's for guys. The guys will relate to it, too. I mean, guys are going to relate to my grandfather, my great-grandfather, you know, and, and there's, there's masculine parts in there as long as the feminine parts, and they mesh really well. And there's just a really good story to be told, you know, and I wanted to tell, my goal with White Skies, Black Mingo was I wanted was two things. I wanted to tell an honest, true story that honors women and, and tells a true, you know, a true story of how, of a strong female protagonist, you know, how, how a real world. I also wanted to be true to the Native Americans. And I wanted to tell a story that honors the Native Americans and is truthful and historically truthful, which is why um, it was really important to me to get that book to, in the hands of some Native Americans. Right to read that and give me the feedback. The first being was our friend um, Dodie Rogers, the daughter of Roy Rogers. She is Native American. Um, and she was, I think, a bit skeptical when she first got my book. She Because she told me, she said, I'm not, because I wasn't sure how you were going to portray her, you know. 
But after she read the book, she goes, uh, she, I love, she goes, I'm a fan. I'm, I'm going to buy your next book. You know, I loved what you did there. And, and she was very, which pleased me. It's like, okay, you know, I, I accomplished both goals. I was able to, to tell a good story that women will relate to. That's not an unrealistic character. You know, she has her flaws and her struggles, but it's her heart and her strength and her love that pushes her through and, and, and helps her, you know, do impossible feats. But at the same time, you know, uh, that feedback told me that I, that I was, that I honored my great grandmother and honored, you know, my ancestors in, in the writing of this book. Author Kevin D. Miller is our guest today. The book is Eyes of Morpheus. That's the brand new book just released, available at headlinebooks.com. Uh, you can see all the links there in the Facebook comments for all of Kevin's books. Um, this new one, uh, you know, I think of it as, as a beach read. It's summertime. You yeah. want a book that's going to take you away yes. and, and, you know, that you can really immerse yourself in. Maybe not something, as you know, Kevin, I'm based in Washington, D.C., where there are these very sort of heavy professorial books yeah. that really have to think a lot about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eyes of Morpheus, I think, is the kind of book that, that you really can get lost in uh, as a beach read. Some authors feel like, you know, a, a beach read, that's, that's sort of, uh, you know, that, that's maybe a backhanded compliment. I wonder how you feel about someone saying, hey, I want to throw that in the beach bag and, and take it with me and sit out in the lawn chair and soak up some, some rays and read this book. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? If you're, if you're reading my book, that's always a good thing. I don't care if you throw it in a beach bag. I don't care if you throw it in a brown paper bag. If you're going to read my book, <laughs> that's a good thing because I got you. Because I, I, I feel like if I can just get you to, to get through, you know, just read that first line, read that first chapter, I'm going to hook you. And, and that's always a good thing for, to, to read. I, I don't take that as a, a, a backhanded compliment or at all, because, you know, I just want to get that story out and share it with as many people as I can and for as many people to read it as possibly can. I mean, it, it's got some great twists. It's got some, a lot of unexpected twists and turns that's going to catch the reader completely off guard, which, you know, which is what you try to do because readers love to be challenged. They love to try to figure out where the story's going. They love to solve mysteries and puzzles. And I gave them some good ones in this, you know, to figure out. So um, put it on your bag, go to the beach and, and, and read it <laughs> and let me know. <laughs> you know, we, we talk about uh, the feedback that you've gotten in terms of these awards for your books. Um, is it hard for you uh, in today's world, you have to, to do them to, to read reviews of your book. Is there trepidation there? I've always wondered mm -hmm. as an author, I mean, you're setting yourself up with reviews, whether they're from readers or professional reviewers may love it, may hate it. So do you kind of have to gird yourself for battle every time you look at those or, or are you able to internalize and take some constructive criticism when it comes? You have to. I mean, I think in any creative field, whether it's writing uh, or acting or singing or dance, anything, you have to have a thick skin. You have to be able to take the criticism along with the compliments. You know, fortunately for me, um, Heart of Steel has uh, 94 reviews on Amazon. It's, it's, it's averaging a 4.5 out of five stars. So 90 some percent of them are good. But there's always somebody, not everyone's going to like your book. And that's another thing for new authors. Don't think that everyone's going to love your book because it might sure. not be their cup of tea. They might not relate to it. They might come from a different background. It's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. So you just have to take the good with the bad. And, and I, I don't 
you know, I love seeing good reviews and I read all my negative reviews to see what, to try to make it a learning process to see, okay, why, why is this person writing this and what can I change or do to make better? You know, if I, if I'm, if I'm agree with what they're saying or if I'm accepting what they're saying, you know, how can I make myself a better author from that kind of feedback? It's feedback, you know, and, and, and negative feedback can be as, as uh, productive as positive feedback. So that's, that's what I use. I don't, I don't put a whole lot of weight on, on reviews, although I will say that reviews are extremely important. So if you're a reader of mine, please put reviews up there because that in, in any book you read for any author, that's the way you thank an author is you write a review, an honest review. You know, you don't have to go up there and feel obligated to give them a good review and, and, and please don't go and just destroy somebody, you know, one star review or something. I said, that's, to me, I, I would never write anything less than a three-star review for somebody, and I'll give them constructive, you know, feedback and stuff because I don't want to discourage and, and just tear somebody down, you know, who's who's putting themselves out there and risking writing and, and stuff. They, you know, that's that's that that's just me. That's kind of a tough thing, you know, to 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 see, you know, if that happens. But um, sounds like your reviews are pretty good so far, and and the brand new book. Uh, you're off to the races on it. One last question. When you do get, you know, accolades like this international book award finalist, that's yeah. a pretty big damn deal. Yeah. How does that make you feel? I mean, does your head get so big you can barely get through the yeah. room? Is it an out-of-body experience or is it just a, oh, it's just another Saturday for Kevin Miller? No, no, it's it's always a thrill. It's always Christmas. It's always, you know, high fives and, and fist pumps and stuff. It's, it's I'm a little kid at heart, you know, I mean, I, I'll never change that. My, my daughters, my wife, they know that, you know. You know, I, I, I'm, I get excited, you know, by stuff like that. And I, and I show it, I don't hide, I can't hide it. And when I see that, I'm like, you know, all giggly and all, you know, I got to show everybody, I got to put, I got to put this out there and show all my friends, and stuff. look at this, you know, so they might get tired of me, you know, saying, Hey, look at this, I got this, you know, but it's, it's exciting. And I want to share it with people. You know, I don't, I, I don't mean it in a way that might sound like my head's getting big because my head definitely doesn't get big, but I, I just, I get excited and I want to share that excitement and, 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 and say, Hey, you know, I, I think this is a good book because it's winning awards, you know, you know, give it a chance, you know, just, just to get somebody to, to read your books, a, a tough thing to do, you know, a tough sell, you know, but those awards help a great deal to give it merit and validation that, Hey, this is a good book. You're missing out if you don't read this story. And, and I, I see a lot of, of sometimes in reviews of strangers, people I don't know that say, I love this book. I'm going to, I can't wait for the next one. So, so, okay, I got somebody. So now, now the, now the bar set high. So I have to deliver. I got to, that's, you know, I worry about that. It's like, I don't want to drop the bar and, and, and put a book out. That's not as good as the previous ones. It has to be at least as good or better than the previous ones, or I'm not going to put it out there. So well, it looks but, like yeah. you're moving in the right direction. And uh, if, if readers do want to reach out to you, one of the things that, that the internet has made much easier is that, Authors at all levels are generally a mouse click away. So don't tell readers how to get in touch with you. If they want to talk to you about your book, the craft of writing or whatever, you are a pretty accessible guy. I'm very accessible. Um, my website, again, is authorkevinmiller.com. I've got links to all my social media up there. I've got links to my email. 
Um, I may even have my phone number up there, but I don't want to get a whole lot of calls. Just, you can, you know, you can call me or text me. I do, I do get emails from people. Um, interesting. Even like with hard to steal people who live in that area of Ohio that just contact and have more questions. Well, what happened to Stanley? You know what? And I love that. And I'm, I welcome that. It's like, if you read my book and you have questions or, or if you have comments, or if you just want to, you know, yell at me, cause I, you know, killed a character or something. <laughs> Absolutely. I, that, I get a thrill with that. Um, and knowing and meeting, you know, readers out there, you know, cause that to me, I mean, just every, I appreciate every person who takes the time to read my book and read the story and takes the time to maybe do a review, takes the time to contact me. That's awesome. That's, that's the reward here you know, for writing, for being a book author. So, yes. Mm -hmm. Find author Kevin Miller at authorkevinmiller.com. There are links to all his books, including the brand new one, Eyes of Morpheus, Visionary Fiction. What would you do if you could put yourself to sleep and wake up 87 years in the future? Find out in Eyes of Morpheus from Kevin Miller. Thank you to our host, Headline Books, our show sponsor, speakermatch.com. Kevin Miller, always great to see you, sir. Oh, always, always a pleasure, Burke. Always a pleasure. Yep. You Thank you for watching man. online. Zoom into books. Thank you for listening to our Big Time Talker podcast. Wherever you go, whatever you do today, make it a great day. Thanks for being here. Bye, everybody. <laughs>